podcast ain't played nobody. Hey, Bill, do you want to talk about Confederate statues? No, no, you don't. Hey, Bill, do you want to talk about the NCAA? No, no, you don't. You know what you want to talk about, Bill? Week zero! Football. Football. Here's what we're going to do. Now, Godfrey has to tag out. We're going to tag in a special guest. Uh, Godfrey can't stay too long, but we want to make sure you get your full... Uh, helping of PAPN. So we're going to tag Godfrey out halfway through and bring in Alex Kirshner from SB Nation. Uh, we're going to talk about whatever we talk about. But in the meantime, week zero, we have nine college football games, honest to God, college football games oh on TV this week. We're going to talk about all nine and why all nine, every single one of them is so important that you really need to watch. <laughs> Um, where do you want to start in week z- point? Are you going to go week zero or week point? I like point five. Okay, <laughs> week point five. Uh, let's go. I say let's go chronologically. That All means right. the season officially kicks off. The Division One season officially kicks off with Florida A and M Texas Southern. Um, here are two reasons why you should care about this game. First. HBCU football is pretty dang cool when FAMU is good. They are kind of royalty here. They were the uh, the the grambling of the MEAC for the most part. They were the most consistently, uh, well, whatever the MEAC was called before the MEAC, but they were consistently strong, had the Orange Blossom Classic. They are one of the bigger HBCUs. Uh, their colors are badass. And uh, just generally speaking, they are pretty fun. They're the Rattlers. Uh, they've stunk as of late. They, you know, got their stuff together. They, under, under a coach named Billy Joe, they almost made the FCS finals back in, I think, 99. They decided to try to make the jump to Division One a mistimed it, stumbled, got kind of screwed by the NCAA on a transfer thing, had a bunch of players end up ineligible, and uh, bombed and came back, and they've been only okay since then. But when FAMU is good, it's uh, a lot of fun. And then they are taking on Texas Southern head coach. Do you know Texas Southern's head coach? I do not. Mike Haywood. Remember Mike Haywood? Ah, okay. The guy who was Miami, Ohio head coach. I believe he won a conference title, if I remember right. Uh, Got hired by Pitt and then got fired about two weeks after getting hired by Pitt because of a domestic incident that he didn't actually end up getting charged for. Yeah, I remember Uh, that. So he bounced around a little bit. Now he is at Texas Southern. They, he improved. I, I believe he improved them a little bit his first year. I believe this is his second year in charge. Uh, and that is why you should care about Texas Southern. Uh, it'd be cool if they were good, too. It'd be cool if everybody was good. It, this, is, uh, this is me at my most egalitarian here. But uh, I think this game is in Houston, if I remember right. Uh, which at 11 uh, in the morning on a Saturday in August in Houston could be kind of, we'll, we'll, t- we'll see about uh, the, t- the conditioning of FAMU in Texas Southern. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> we may have to do a little bit better on selling, this, selling the sizzle on that steak. Um, colors, colors, green football. and orange and red and black. It's going to, football, it's great. Football. Um, but we have Division One football. Yes, that's next. We have division the old the old FB and S football. Um, I don't exactly know why Colorado State and Oregon State decided to play a week before everyone else of their you know in their brethren, but I'm fine with it. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is um, that Colorado State wants to show off its new stadium, which I believe will be making its debut. It's a very um, good idea. And now I was going to say it's on national television. It's sort of on national television. It's on CBS Sports, but. Um, but, yeah, you can check out it. It's a very pretty stadium. 
And quite honestly, this is probably the mar- in terms of like combined quality of the two teams. This mm-hmm. is your this is your marquee game uh, because Oregon State could be top fifty caliber again. They were super young a couple of years ago. They improved last year, and they they are, uh, could improve quite a bit this year. Uh, and Colorado State might be top twenty five caliber team. I really yeah. was impressed with the, what they did. Um, uh, you know, towards the end of last season. And here's where uh, an Idaho fan immediately jumps in and says, yeah, but we smoked them. Yeah, you did. That Colorado State had absolutely no interest in playing on that sheet of ice in that bowl game, and you had every interest in playing in that game, and you smoked them, and congratulations. Colorado State could still be really, really good this year. I would say of the 18 teams that we're going to talk about, I, this would probably be the third and fourth best. Is that fair to say? Although... Yeah, no, I feel like that works. I don't know what we're going to get in BYU yet, but I definitely don't think they're better than Stanford. I definitely don't think they're better than South Florida. Oh, I think they're absolutely better than South Florida. Uh, <gasps> Colorado State is. Oregon State isn't, but Colorado State is. Okay. All right. South Florida wow. play defense. Put that South Florida. Give me the on CSU right now. I mean, I, I'm all for it. I, I think it's great that the Mountain West is developing a, a – let's say maybe a trio of tops, a quadrilogy, if you will, of actually formidable programs. But, but uh, yeah, give me the skinny on the old Colorado state. So Colorado state's offense was the reason why, you know, with, with, with de- run the ball, dang Mike Bobo uh, leading the way, their offense was really, really good at the end of last year. Their defense was up and down and very down against Idaho, obviously. Um, but uh, Nick Stevens is the quarterback. he, uh, when healthy, I believe he is pretty awesome. His backup uh, is pretty decent too, but Stevens averaged almost 10 yards per pass. Uh, Dalen Dawkins and Izzy Matthews uh, combined for about 1,700 rushing yards. Uh, and, and another another guy, Marvin Kinsey, uh, ran for over 500. Then you've got Michael Gallup. He is the mid-major stud receiver uh, top of the list uh, heading into the year. He had almost 1,300 yards last year. Good offensive line, and then a lot of experience on defense. You look at their uh, two deep, you see a lot of sophomores and juniors, which is a nice reminder of the, how many freshmen and sophomores they had going on last year. And at their best, they were pretty decent. They were just inconsistent. So, um, I, yeah, I, just, I think Bobo has recruited well, and he's uh, he inherited a decent amount of talent, and he's brought in some transfers, a uh, kid from Oklahoma State, kid from uh, – well, maybe that was the only one this year, but – uh, Oregon State has a bunch of transfers as well, but that's Colorado State is a, a team I really like, uh, almost to a foolish degree. All right. Um, wow. All right. Bullish on CSU. Buy it here. Buy it early. Portland State goes to BYU. Portland it's State. on TV. It's on TV. Portland State uh, beat somebody last year. Uh, Washington State, or maybe that was two years ago. Whatever. If you don't a- get CBS Sports Network, and chances are you don't, um, rather than freak out at the one thirty game Central Time, you'll get Portland State and BYU at ESPN on two uh, two o'clock. Yeah, how Central. did that work? Well, I mean, I know how it worked. BYU's independent and they, yeah. they signed up, but still, that's kind of sad. No, I mean BYU. This is a good. They are a team where they, you know, as I like to say, a wide range of possible outcomes this year. Their defense could be <laughs> very good. Um, but they have to replace a, a lot of guys up front uh, where they're typically very good. So if you just kind of assume that BYU is going to have a good defensive line, then their defense should be stout. Their offense should be very stout if they have a couple receivers, and I think they do. Um, but, you know, Tanner Mangum uh, is the quarterback. Remember that guy? Uh, lots and lots of, of juniors and seniors involved in the receiving core, at least. Good offensive line, big offensive line. 
pretty a pretty BYU team all in all, and we'll get to kind of they'll they'll get just enough of a test that we kind of learn what they are against Portland State. Not going to be a uh, not going to be a, f- a formidable national conversation type of year for for the old uh, the old Cougs. Not going to happen. However, um, this is the kind of game that they love to play. It's at home. They get the exposure. I mean, look. All all joking aside, when we when we run through this list of games. Um, short of Rice Stanford, which kicks off, I think at like ten o'clock Eastern PM. I think that's right. Yeah, uh, this is the game that if you're casually flipping by, I mean, uh, Oregon State, Colorado State, and uh, South Florida San Jose are both on CBS. This not CBS, the CBS Sports Network. You're probably not going to see those games if you're <laughs> among the majority. No, I'm just saying, like if you're among the majority of Americans who has a you know a basic cable package or something there, you know, a, a watch ESPN login, you're not going to see them. So this is the one game you're you're probably the likeliest to watch of all of them on Saturday, and that's why BYU has this specific deal with ESPN. And even though they're clawing like hell to get into a, a conference, this is this is why they're they work as an independent so well. I don't really think it's going to be that fun of a game to watch, but whatever, it's football. Yeah. LSU gets to scout them, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean that's actually a decent thought. That means we probably will see as little as possible from BYU. In other words, a game of marginal interest deal. just got worse. Yeah, let's, but let's ignore that part. Uh, it's still BYU. It's still a very pretty stadium that they're playing in. Hawaii goes to UMass, Bill, yeah. at five o'clock yeah. Central on the listing I have on LSUSports.net is is on Nesson. So I think actually a lot. I think more people have Nesson than they realize. So so dig around and check on that one. Um, it's a game we uh, uh, Hawaii is already they've already left by the way Um, I saw like through their game notes because I was looking at freaking Hawaii game notes for a minute yesterday that's pretty bad Um, they went through they they were like stopping at ground zero in New York on their way to Springfield Massachusetts where they were staying or something like that well that's kind of nice you know, this is uh, the the draw for this game is Hawaii. UMass, I feel like they had their chance at one point to to maybe have a decent season, and they didn't. Um, but Hawaii, you know, this was you want to talk about degree of difficulty. Hawaii last year, Nick Rolovich takes over. They travel approximately four hundred thousand miles in September. Uh, they lose a bunch of guys to season-ending injuries. A couple receivers they were kind of counting on: uh, Devin Stubblefield, Isaiah Bernard, both uh, got hurt. A, a, a defensive back, a safety, got hurt as well. Uh, and all they do is go out, and, and as soon as that travel period is over, they get smoking hot, and they end up uh, winning a bowl game. Yep. Uh, just a really, really nice year. They, they uncovered uh, Drew Brown, their quarterback. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, he, barely, he didn't even start the whole year, still threw for 2,500. Diosomy St. Juiced at, at, at running back, I believe that's how you say his name. Uh, very good running back. Uh, he, he's 195. He runs like he's 225. He's very fun to watch. And then they got a ton of receivers that they, they'll distribute the ball around to. So a really interesting uh, offense, attacking defense. Uh, we'll see how much jet lag they're fighting off. But they're pretty. if anybody's used to, to fighting off jet lag, it's Hawaii. Bill, tomorrow you have to become head coach at either one of these programs. Now, before you just blurt out Hawaii, oh, Hawaii because, God. You, because you get to live in Hawaii, <laughs> yeah. in the next five years, you have to win X amount of games or, like, I don't know, your your family is murdered brutally, okay? Wow. Think about it that uh, way. I think I'm still choosing Hawaii. 
I, I'm still choosing Hawaii. They are still I, in the Mountain West West. Yes. Uh, so, so that's a pretty so, a soft spot. UMass, I mean, I, I can't imagine how hard it is. As hard as it is to recruit to Hawaii, uh, UMass is in this limbo period where they're an independent, they're FBS, but how long are they going to be FBS? And, and I think that's all pretty difficult. I think Mark Whipple's probably doing a decent job there. He's just, it's really hard right now. So give me Hawaii. If you're UMass, why not drop down? Is it just well, think, you don't? Have, I mean, you're you're floating right now. You don't have any. You know, you don't have a, a way to latch on to. You know, I doubt Conference USA would take you that far north. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but why not drop down and just become a killer in the FCS? I mean, it's they were they were a very Idaho good FCS style. Yeah, they. Were, I mean, they, it's kind of the same deal as Idaho, where they were very good at the FCS level and came up and found things. Uh, that they weren't quite didn't have all the their uh, their pieces where they needed to have them to to be able to succeed and so that was um, it, it's a weird I, you know I, maybe it's money I don't know but I mean teams really don't like dropping down you know Mexico State hasn't even dropped down yet and they have every right to drop down It'd make a ton and of so, sense for them too right and, and and so maybe that's it's just a, an ego thing maybe it's a money thing maybe. I don't know, but they it would make a lot of sense for them to drop down. I'm rooting for them, like New Mexico State, as long as they stay up. Uh, but it's tough. It's extremely, extremely tough. Hey, you know what we have next? We have a top 25 matchup. Right, I was about to say, we this might actually be the best matchup, matchup of though. the day. It doesn't matter if it's in FCS because it's football and you're going to take it. Uh, on ESPN, Chattanooga playing Jacksonville State. I think it's in Jacksonville State. I don't know. Um, Jacksonville State comes into this game ranked 6th. Chattanooga is ranked 12th. By the way, could you name me? Uh, you probably have it in front of you. Can, can you name me the top five? You don't have to put them in order, but can you name me the top five I, in I the FCS top 25 right now? I have it in front of me. Um, uh, but also, it's in. this is a neutral field game. This is in Montgomery, Alabama. Oh, okay. It's where they play the Camellia Bowl. Um, by the yeah. way, if you're if you're so interested, these are the teams you should not play this year if you were an FBS team, and you're yes. scheduling an FCS opponent. I'll I'll do ten real fast because I think all ten are dangerous. Number ten, Villanova. Number nine, Youngstown State. Number eight, North Dakota. Number seven, Richmond, the Spiders. Number six, Jacksonville State. Number five, the Blood Red of Eastern Washington. Number four, the Old Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. Number three. One of the hottest places on earth per Tulane head coach, <laughs> Willie Fritz, uh, Sam Houston State. Number two, North Dakota State, of course, and then number one, James Madison. Well, controversy there, Bill. North Dakota not coming in on top. <laughs> I have no idea I, what I, they return. I mean, it could be totally justifiable. I, I just Yeah, well, I, know, I mean, James Madison kind of sort of romped to the title last year, so I, I think that's kind of understandable. All too. right, so let's say you're um, on the couch. You've yep. you've escaped whatever family obligation. And really, I don't know how you've pulled this off because you're going to have to play this card 12, 13 more times as the actual season begins. But whatever, you did it. Good for you. Um, you've, you've dosed appropriately as BYU takes care of business against Portland State. You, you don't have the CBS Sports Network. You, you don't get to watch South Florida and San Jose State. Um, the quality of this game is akin to or better than most of what you're going to see on Wednesday nights <laughs> in the Mac or Sun Belt, with the exception of, like, like it's the quality of these teams is, is, is middle of that or better in a lot of situations. Is that fair to yeah. say? 
Yeah. Okay. So here, here's the best way to, to frame this. So I, I just pulled up the Sagarin rankings from last year. I know some people have, have problems with Sagarin rankings, but it's the best we've got when it comes to ranking both uh, FBS and FCS. The FCS champion, James Madison, finished 33rd right between South Florida and Washington State. Uh, North Dakota State, whom James James Madison beat in the semifinals, was 44th between Temple and Nebraska. Okay. Eastern Washington was 54th. Uh, Youngstown State was 67th. Let's see. And then uh, Jacksonville State was 91st, which was, was between Arizona State and SMU. So, I mean, not terrible. Uh, and then Chattanooga was 94th between Southern Miss and Northern Illinois. So, basically, you're talking about an SMU versus Southern Miss, Miss caliber game. And guess what? Both SMU and Southern Miss might bowl this year. So, I mean, a solid amount yeah. of quality there. Yeah. It's very much good football, so people should not – recoil and horror just because it's two FCS teams. By the way, um, I thought ESPN had been really, really smart about the way that they were cherry-picking these teams from FCS to showcase on this Week Zero. You don't have Eastern Washington, and you don't have North Dakota State. Eastern Washington opens next week against Texas Tech and Lubbock. Uh, Look out. By the way, that's going to be a fantastic game. But uh, I'm actually a little curious here. North Dakota State, uh, they... They're home versus Mississippi Valley on September. Yeah, so next Saturday. Then they play Eastern Washington. Then it's a normal FCS schedule. They don't have a banger this year. Yeah. I'm a little shocked. They don't yeah, have, like, really... a, like, either the entirety of college football got smart finally, <laughs> or they just maybe had a pothole year where they couldn't find a team to go beat up on, like, Iowa or, you know, Colorado. They do play a lot. They do play a lot of very, very good FCS teams, though, and I think what you, what we're seeing is they're getting a little money for that. Those it really is almost like you've got a an FCS Champions League kind of thing set up where most of the heavyweights uh, will have a, at least a little bit of a round robin, and that's I mean starting with Chattanooga, Jacksonville State here. I mean it's a really it's a good showcase because it is pretty quality football. It's but do not, we like this? Because I would so I mean, much rather see North Dakota put the fear of God into somebody and or beat them in North Dakota long State's term, case, beat them. Long term, I think it's a good strategy because you're building more brands, so to speak. I mean, this is yes. like, you know, it's 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 like basically Food Network trying to build a new competition show or just showing Chopped 4,800 times a week or Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. They're trying to build new brands. They're trying to build a yeah, new cooking show. I, I agree with you on that, but but if you're going to play at Eastern Washington – and those two teams are not in the same league, so that is very much like a non-conference schedule, you know, the same way Oklahoma and Ohio State will play. Don't put it on September 9th. No one's going to watch that. Give that, I mean, give that action to me now. Put that this week. Oh. If, if North Dakota State and Eastern Washington were playing this weekend, it would be the game of the week. To hell with Stanford yeah, Rice. I- and I will say, I mean, that, that's what they did in the past. Like North Dakota State, Montana yeah. was the week before. I, I mean, if we turn if we turn week zero point five into an FCS showcase, I'm for it. You know, I, I would I would watch the hell out of that. It's, Which it's is what like, Chattanooga Jacksonville State is to a degree. Right. To well, a degree. it absolutely is. But I mean, if we're talking about like let's put three or four of them on, yeah, uh, that'd be great. I, I I don't see any problem with that whatsoever. So just to scroll through and go back, even if if you were to take the the final poll of the previous year, let's just you know, so like I said, Chattanooga twelfth, Jacksonville State sixth. Find Eastern Washington, South Dakota State, Sam Houston, I don't know, Villanova, Youngstown. Shake those guys up. Create, create what, four games on ESPN or ESPNU 
you know, uh, the noon, the 2.30, you know, a 6, and then, like, a 9, a, a late game or something like that, and just go all day with it and create create a thing. Create a thing. Uh, that would go a long way to helping these brands out. A lot. As I've mentioned a thousand times on the show, I grew up a Georgia Southern fan, and it was it was next to impossible to get to see them on television in any capacity oh, yeah. for a long, long time when I was a kid. Um, this would really, I think, it would really fortify those brands. I think it would it would help tremendously in recruiting because you really get a weekend in which you're you're it, you're you're the thing on ESPN. So I'm not saying send game day out or anything, you know, too hyperbolic. But although I mean, if you want to send game day out, that'd be awesome too. Or send like I don't know a minor version of game day out. I don't I don't yeah. care. Um, can you tell me anything about Colgate and Cal Poly playing at 6 p.m. Central on ESPNU? I'm ready. While you were talking, I was prepping. I wanted to sell this. My man, I can tell you one thing about First Cal Poly. Uh, beautiful town, San Luis Obispo, California. It's lovely. And that's where the game's being played. I'm sure there will be some aerial shots, so you'll get that first of all. Uh, Cal Poly, uh, they famous, were... Uh, famous coach that coached at Cal Poly? Eccentric. Pirates. Pirates. Wait, what? Oh, oh, Pirates. Um, Mike? Yes, Mike Leach. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, so here's, here's what I've got for Cal Poly. Number one, they went to the playoff last year. They are a top 25 preseason team. They're aiming, they've got a decent shot at the Big Sky title, and the Big Sky is a very, very, very high caliber uh, conference at that level. Um, they have a lot of returning starters back. I, I said I prepped. I didn't say it was good prep. Mm-hmm. Um, they This is a cross-country battle, which is kind of fun. You've got Colgate, uh, which has been typically a pretty decent Patriot League team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were... Uh, they were... Cal Poly in the Sagarin last year was Akron, uh, which... Awesome. And Colgate was basically FAU. So... This is tough. Uh, do you, I, I don't even know if this program can do this. I, I'm going to be honest. I th- I, I lots of, this lots this of may be the toughest game we've ever tried to sell. Okay, how about this? Lots of experience. Both of these teams have a shot at the playoff, and when you're searching, when you're channel surfing uh, and trying to figure out what do I know about Cal Poly as they get ready to face North Dakota State on ESPN2 in the division, in the FCS semi or quarterfinals or first round like in December, mm-hmm you'll know something. You'll go, okay. oh, yeah, I remember that quarterback. He had a pretty good game back in week 0.5 when I watched that game. So you could you could treat this as a study and experience because you might uh, be able to recall what you learned later. All right. Um, that wasn't bad. It, it wasn't good either, but no, I, admirable effort, way better than I was going to do. I was going to stick with San Luis Obispo is a really pretty town. And then and really, that might be the biggest takeaway. South Florida at San Jose State. Uh, we know what South Florida is. South Florida is a good football team with a lot of returning talent that's recruited extremely well in a talent-rich area for a long time. Charlie Strong is a coach that never really fit at Texas. He is going to start his reclamation or whatever the hell you want to call it. San Jose State. Interesting San program. Yeah, San Jose State. Uh, what's the coach's name? Bantam, I think. Uh, they basically just tried to find their P.J. Fleck. Uh, they, a really they, high they went after career. a Bay Area guy to create some Bay Area attention because Stanford being what it is, is not in really any way identifiable with the Bay Area. I don't think that's controversial right. to say. I've been out there for multiple Stanford games. It's not necessarily something that engages San Francisco and Oakland. But on top of that, they don't really have a ton of players that necessarily are homegrown. 
If yeah. there's football talent in that region, San Jose State, when they've been good, like Mac, Mac, basically Mike McIntyre, it's because they were focused on that immediate area. It's going to yeah. be interesting as they build now. This is a program that could be better. This is a program that I think you could turn into something like Fresno was back when, easier than Fresno could get better again now. Yeah. And, yeah, they hired a recruiter. They hired a guy who doesn't have just a ton of, uh, like, high, high, high-level coaching experience, but he knows how to recruit in that area. He knows what the crawl spaces to look under for talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of them in California. Uh, and he really, you know, uh, what was his name? Carragher, the last guy at SJSU, his problem wasn't recruiting. So, I mean, he, he walks into a situation where he's got quite a few former three and a couple four-star, uh, former four-star recruits on the roster uh, and and we'll see what he's able to do with them. They do have a ton of returning experience on offense. And like I said before, USF's defense has a mountain to climb. Uh, and despite Charlie Strong's reputation, he's only had a couple of good defenses really at either Louisville or Texas. Took him a couple of years to get things going to Louisville, and he started well at Texas and then faded on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that could be very interesting. And that's going to be, this is one of those telltale kind of games. Like, no, we're not going to, yes, South Florida is probably going to win. And no, we're probably not going to learn a ton, but they have to defend a pretty good run game with a very experienced offensive line that San Jose state has. Uh, and that's a, that's a thing, a box that we can either check or leave unchecked. And that'll tell us a lot about how they'll go from here on out. Beal. Yeah. Game of the day, I guess. Uh, Rice and Stanford. I guess. I mean, it's a football game. Stanford's going to probably you get, koala, shake. you get the shots of koalas and yeah. And... I mean, they're going to shake off like the 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 weirdness of flying all the way to Australia to play a football game, and then they're going to maul rice. I mean, that's that's pretty much the. I don't even know if that's compelling, but that's that's pretty much all I can give you here. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah a little a little check on Stanford, so to speak. Like, how how good do they look? I think they could be top ten caliber really this year. Um, but they've got, well, I mean, obviously they've got their identity, Christian McCaffrey to replace, but they, they get back most of everybody else they need, you know, uh, the, what Chris and, uh, Bryce love the guy who replaced McCaffrey and looked pretty good in the bowl game. They get Trenton Irwin back, uh, the, most of their dominant, huge four-star offensive line is back. And so, um, if, if there's anything we're going to learn here, Rice is usually kind of tricky on offense, not, not, not always good, but at least tricky. They run the ball relatively well. Um, and so we'll get a little check on that, that we don't know completely about, uh, Stanford's defensive line without Solomon Thomas and Jordan, and I guess, well, as I say, Jordan Watkins, he doesn't really count. He didn't play all that much, but, um, really this shouldn't be Rice Shouldn't score more than about 14 points. If, if they do, if they get into the twenties, then that might be a red flag for Stanford. We'll see. Uh, it, it's a, it's a weird journey. It's tough. Coaches hate it. Sonny Dykes wasn't even really private in the way that he hated it last year when Cal went down there. Um, it's not great, but it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I had a friend of mine in Houston tell me, like, basically on Monday, I got a text from him at 7.30 Eastern time because I've been in New York this week. And he said, Rice landed in Sydney two hours ago, left Houston last night at 6.30, and they're oh. going straight to practice. That's yeah. That's what you do. You you got to get those legs loosened up as quickly. As but possible. but also like like in terms of body clock and acclimation and stuff. I don't know. It's just you're down there starting on Monday. You play the game on Saturday. It's look it, the games are fait accompli anyway. But still, it's just a it's it's a very weird thing. I, I'm curious to see how much longer this is gonna go. 
Um, I, I think it will continue to go because they'll find teams that are willing to do it to take the check. Um, you know, if anything, if you're Rice, you're expected to lose the game. You give your players a unique experience. You try not to get banged up. And then also you try not to create any kind of weirdness that trickles into week three. I mean, really same for Stanford, too. Doesn't Stanford go straight from this to USC? Yeah, I think they, I mean, they get a bye, but let's see, what is their schedule? They got uh, Rice, yeah, then they have a bye week, then at USC, and then at San Diego State. So if you don't get your legs back. Um, I don't I mean, I don't think it's going to linger for, for Stanford. I mean, Stanford is, Stanford's a school that, you know, gets the New York Times profile about how they're reducing concussions in college football. I think they're going to be fine. But I know from habit and rhythm and, and, and routine, which is the stuff that these coaches just, like, swear by this bothers the hell out of them because it throws all of that stuff out of whack um but yes by the way we we did screw up this is kind of an fcs showcase i know i was i I was gonna jump to it so uh stanford's gonna maul rice you'll probably watch it have a beer fall asleep whatever sunday you don't have to talk to loved ones that's that's over you worry about that in january (laughs) 6 p.m espnu um, it is sort of an SCS showcase. They did listen to us in real time. They scheduled this game as Bill and I were talking. Uh, Richmond goes to Sam Houston State. Yeah, number three versus number seven in the preseason. This is what uh, we need. They, they moved it. They moved it to Sunday for this exact purpose to to be a showcase game. Because we said uh, so. Actually, that's right. I mean, they, people listen. Um, it is at Sam Houston, uh, so it'll be toasty. And, um, you know, this is another – Sam Houston was 89th in Sagarin, and Richmond was 120th. They're both in the whatever that is, about the top 10 or 15 in FCS, uh, equivalent to, like, Arizona State versus Illinois, which – actually, let me use a better example that doesn't scare you away. Equivalent to Arizona State versus – what's another team close to Richmond? Uh, Nevada, oh, oh, Middle Tennessee. Boom. You would watch Arizona State, Middle Tennessee. Yes, I would. Um, so that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Richmond has a, a ring. I, Sam Houston, I don't think has a ring, but came really close to having a ring a couple times. Uh, they went 12-1 last year. This is another high-caliber FCS game uh, with coaches who know what they're doing and, and uh, just enough talent to be really, really fun to watch. Will be pointsy. I mean, if, if anything, just, just grill out, you know, have a beer, give this 65%. Yeah, 6 p.m. What's that? It's 6 p.m. Central Time. It's perfect for grilling. Yeah, so so give this like 65% of your attention. Every time you look up, you're going to see a scoring play. Probably every third play, something like that. That's usually how Sam Houston games go, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it'll be fun. Uh, so, Bill, that's everything in week one. Um, you know, we're a little critical, but also uh, we're thankful because they gave us pretty much anything, and we took it with a smile. This is what I always say. You know, what I always complain about with week one is we make week one too good because we're just drinking from the fire hose and we would watch anything. Week 0.5 is proof of that. Um, this will be great. Uh, you know, some of the teams are going to be terrible. Some of them are going to be decent. doesn't matter. It'll be fun. They got conference, a couple of conference games lined up here. You got a couple of teams to check on in like Stanford and BYU and South Florida, uh, maybe Hawaii teams that you kind of want to take note of for later. And that's cool. This is, uh, this is great. I love week 0.5. Uh, it does offset a little bit. The, I still think it's a lackluster Thursday night. Um, and we can talk, we'll talk about it in banking on Indiana, Ohio state. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to really hang everything on Indiana, Ohio state, I think is a mistake, but whatever. Um, you know, well, actually Tulsa OSU will be fun as hell. So we do have Tulsa OSU. That's what sucks. I I will. I'll record Ohio state, Indiana. By God. Uh, you also have FIU at UCF. 
You'll have Buffalo at Minnesota. UConn hosting Holy Cross, North Dakota going to Utah. <laughs> hey, by the way, poor old FAMU. On a short week, they've got to go play yeah. the Hogs. Yeah, they're going to be... They're going to be 0 and 2 before the first Saturday. Well, no, no, no. They could be Texas Southern. They'll be either 0 and 2 or 1 and 1 uh, before the official first Saturday of college football. Very interesting. All right, Bill. Um, that's that's week zero. We feel solid about it. We feel good. Um, do you want to get into some emails real fast? Um, well, yeah. Well, first of all, as I pull those up, uh, our preview package went up on Monday. Hey, it did. It was, it was pretty badass, if I must say so. Uh, this is, I, I don't think I'm, uh, patting myself or others on the back too much when I say that this has been our best, uh, Nation has killed this off season. Let's just put it that way. We have, we have, we have absolutely kicked this off season's butt. Uh, we're ready. We, we had a great camp, uh, and we're ready to go this fall. This, uh, preview package, if for some reason you listen to this program and you haven't checked it out, please go and look at it. Um, it was the, it's, I, I thought probably... I don't know if it's our best one that we've ever done or any of that kind of stuff. It's better than anybody else's stuff. And just the sheer fact that it has all of Bill's stuff that's accessible for all the team previews. Um, I like the spirit of it. I like the methodology. I like the, the, I, the ideas of it. But um, the thing that jumps out at me is it's a, it was a great mix of feature ideas in that you yeah. have a story about how Clemson is a social media giant next to our buddy Alex Kirshner, who's going to join us in a second, hanging out with P.J. Fleck, next to Bill breaking down the entire history of Boise State and how they became what they are. I went and hung out with Ed Orgeron in Baton Rouge. Um, you know, Ian Boyd, I think, has been on, I don't know if he's been on the show or not, um, uh, breaking down basically the newest thing that you need to know about nickel defenses, what you'll see this year. Um, Morgan Moriarty, another colleague of ours, tours uh, the the new Atlanta Stadium, which even if you don't care at all about the NFL, is going to be home to Alabama, Florida State, the national championship, the Peach Bowl, and I think there's a smattering of other games mixed in there as well. So it's good stuff. I liked it a lot. Um, please go look at that. Please go fawn over it. Tell us we're pretty. <laughs> please. Bill, do you have the emails pulled up? Pulled up, or and actually, what I'm going to do instead here is that there's one just a one line comment in last week's comment section. We are going to try to get back to that. We had a nice rhythm going with the with people sent, submitting comments in the comment section, and we'd circle back and, and address them. And then uh, we completely forgot about it. Uh, we're going okay. to try to do that again. And there's one uh, from a commenter, Mississippster. Uh, not about Mississippi. Sorry, Godfrey, but. Um, there's, he just had a one line that said, you know, we're, the way we talk about JT Barrett and, um, you know, we talked a lot about the draft quarterbacks last week. Wide receiver JT Barrett. Strange everything has been. Uh, he just pointed out that, you know, maybe this is a situation where we're, where, uh, Terrell Pryor is, you know, the fact that he's the flavor of the week, uh, receiver in the NFL. Maybe that's, maybe that's rubbing off on, uh, I, I, I can't think of, uh, other than being a quarterback, I can't think of other things that Pryor and Barrett have in common. Um, but regardless, maybe that's rubbing off a little bit. And I, man, I, I mean, maybe uh, this whole, I, you know, it's, it's very demoralizing because like when we, you know, we feel really good. This is like the daily show effect. I watched the daily show for years and felt really good about it and then realized it wasn't actually changing anything. Uh, like we, we, we hammer bad opinions. We hammer, you know, 
the 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 things the 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 silly conventional wisdom and we we feel good about it and then we get you know, reinforced about it on twitter uh and then we realize our bubble is about like 30 people big uh, and the rest of the world doesn't actually change and we go back to talking about black quarterbacks being mobile uh and and maybe potential receivers and and pocket presence uh, somehow only belonging to white quarterbacks and all this it's very it's a very depressing thing and i don't know why i picked this topic yeah, seriously, you brought us back to last week. Um, JT Barrett is not Terrell Pryor. They just both went to Ohio State. I mean, that's about as simple as I can make it out. Um, I, I don't know if it's an issue of perception or what, but I think it's just, again, there is a weird gray area in in journalism. It happens more on the NFL side than the college side, but in stories like this where the two meet, um, it's the old – you know, scouting sources, anonymous scout stuff, and it's become increasingly unreliable as the years have gone on. It's still allowed by most editors. Um, yeah, why do we still do anonymous scouting things? That that is people. Love uh, you them. know, I get. I mean, it's especially from about February on. It is it is high high traffic on on everyone's website, um, especially with quarterbacks. I mean, almost exclusively with quarterbacks. Anonymous scouts can say one thing or another about the durability of a running back or how fast a linebacker might be, but really it's quarterbacks, and it always will be. And as a, as you know, basically young black quarterbacks have, have played a more prominent role in college football that has going, that's going to reverberate alongside the narrative that college football is dumber uh, because of the systems that are run by people like Gus Malzahn and, and the Bryles Tree Air Raid. Like, that's just, these things are going to align. Um, what's funny is off the top of my head, I can't think of a ton of black quarterbacks that were in that system in the Bryles Tree Air Raid. I mean, it's usually yeah, it's it's usually just a bunch of Texas ass Texas white dudes. But um, a lot of it's race. A lot of it isn't. A lot of it is just laziness. Um, the one thing that we picked apart in that Yahoo story was just how egregious an error it is to get lazy and lump. Uh, a guy like Barrett in with the concept of playing wide receiver. That's what we harped on. So, right. That was, I mean, there, there could be obviously races involved, but I mean, this doesn't have to be just some like blatantly racist thing. It's just lazy. It's like, Oh, Hey, he reminds me of this other guy who happens to be same height and weight and skin color. The thing that I, I have to guard against myself is I, I declare free reign on coaches but, I, but, you know, we scoffed on this show about even talking about the draft this early on in the process, right, that we're in August. Um, and, you know, I did the SB Nation. Another thing you can check out, by the way, go to YouTube, or I think it's on our website too. Um, but we did, a uh, like, the live video um, college football preview for SB Nation yesterday. I was in New York for that. And I'm talking about – I did the Pac-12 and the SEC – um, and we we're talking about the bottom of the Pac-12, and I, I don't think I did this to the SEC, but like Arizona, Arizona State, um, the situation at Cal with Wilcox coming in, and the whatever's going to happen with UCLA. I'm always talking about those things in the context of whether or not a guy's going to lose his job. I don't know if that may, if that's better or worse or, or not the same as talking about quarterbacks who are going to get drafted in August. Um, I say it's still better because uh, it's September and guys will get fired in November as opposed to it's August yeah. and pe- guys will get drafted in April. It gets um, harder and harder. I do feel we do that too soon. Yeah. I do feel we do it way too soon, but it's not the same. It's funny because, like, I was sitting there thinking about this on live television, live YouTube, I don't know, 
yesterday. Uh, it's funny to watch our different colleagues prepare and that like Bud Elliott is obviously our, our head of recruiting and so he's going to look at everything through that lens and then move on from there, right? Like what kind of talent does this school have? How, you know, how mature is the talent? How much talent is about to come in? Um, are they going to fall off a cliff because of, you know, they had one bad year. Dan Rubenstein, who's our basically our college football video host, has probably the most holistic approach in that he looks at depth charts, he looks at your numbers, he tries to look at every single thing and is very good about knowing like depth chart key positions and players, things like that. I tend to look at everything as the future or the past. Um, in other words, like I'm when, especially if you show me teams that are not in the realistic title picture right now, Bill. So like if we rattle off your S and P, and we go through and we and we, we create a line at some point that says these teams are going to actually have a shot at the national title. The rest of these ninety or hundred or whatever are not okay. With those teams, I'm I'm always looking on a three year trajectory. In other words, like Arizona, Arizona State, for instance. I talked about this on the show. Those are schools that can and should recruit Arizona better, that can and should go into L.A., and then maybe after USC be the number one or number two option. Like they, You can beat out UCLA if you're Arizona State and you're doing things right. I believe that. But the problem is that doesn't talk about the here and now. So, I, I mean, everybody has a certain, like, weakness when it comes to analysis because we're not analysts by trade. We're reporters. Some of us are. Some of us just aren't. I was about to say, not, not all of us. But I mean, but yeah. Some of us just have a, a particular area of interest. So th- I think the difference is, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just inoculated to the concept that coaches are always going to get fired, right? And they're well paid to begin with. Um, to maybe denigrate a guy who is unpaid labor at a university, whose entire future, his entire livelihood, really just a dramatic shift in the course of his life is going to depend on getting drafted. When you get into the anonymous scout projection, and and the anonymity is almost always an excuse to show off some sort of bias, I think it's dangerous for the individual. Now, if I talk to, and this isn't really my field, Bill, but if I talk to 25 scouts in the NFL and they all are negative about Barrett, I get that. Maybe he's just not a pro quarter. Maybe he's just not going to be a pro quarterback, right? And that's fine. Right. I mean, a lot of uh, you won't find just a ton of people who think he will be. Yeah. Yeah. But to put the, to put it in the context of he's an athlete, what an absurd idea! Like he's probably not an NFL quarterback, Bill. If I had to like bet my mortgage on if he's going to be in the league winning games in five years as a quarterback, probably not. Does he deserve a shot with his skill set to compete as a backup as a third stringer somewhere to go to the league and give it a shot? Yeah, absolutely. And you never know, right? There's Jeff Hostetler born every day, baby. Um, I don't know. It's just something I kind of ruminated on. And if you're listening to this as a consumer of this information, just be discerning. You know, look at this stuff and don't necessarily believe it to be gospel unless it's Bill's numbers and you're an Iowa fan. Uh, uh, Mrs. Sipster had a, a second point. He says, I know it's late, but I'd love an episode on Bill's spreadsheets. I'm not making this up, by the way. I've done a lot of pretty big spreadsheets for work, but not on Bill's scale. I've always felt like I could be benefited by compiling more data, but I'm always scared by the amount of management and manual entry that it would require for it to potentially go all wrong. Well, Mr. Sifter. Oh, I think Godfrey's tapping out. I think he's, he's tagging out. We have to bring in Alex now. I'm so sorry. We'll try to uh, – we'll, I'll, I'll address this offline. Godfrey does need to go, and I... I, uh, No, you can just leave it there. I gotta go. Uh, I'll see you next week.
Yep. And now tagging in for Godfrey is our friend Alex Kirshner. Uh, he came on uh, with Morgan Moriarty, what, last December, I believe, uh, while Godfrey was covering Army-Navy. I believe that's right. Yeah, and then the next week he was absolutely furious with me for uh, making the egregious mistake of referring to this podcast as Pappin as opposed to P-A-P-N. It, was, it caused a bit of a rift. Uh, between. And he was also mad at Morgan for bringing up Christmas movies because we do not talk about fun things on this show. We only talk about college football. That's how, I mean, I'd imagine it's a, a Pittsburgh Pirates fan hosts this podcast, so I don't know why you would want to talk about happy things. Yeah, don't, let's not talk about that because I've, I've completely lost track. Uh, this season has been a complete, I, I've mailed this season in. Uh, so, just let me ask you first, did you commit to PJ Fleck in Minnesota on, like, in person or did you go back and talk to your family first? Uh, you know, I was a silent verbal for a while, um, but I, I do think that I, you know, it it was a tough pitch not to not to join the Gophers after seeing that kind of energy. What um, I mean, what's well, other than the energy, I mean, what stood out? You got a chance to talk to him at Big Twelve Media or Big Ten, excuse me, Media Days, um, yeah. and, and I think it's pretty obvious certain things that stick out with with uh, PJ Fleck. But what first of all, what was the most impressive thing that you uh, encountered? The most impressive thing is that I think he maintains that level of energy pretty much all the time. Uh, we only know so much as media members, and uh, I, I really try to stay away from declaring somebody he's real or he's, he's a fraud or something like that. Um, we're going to see how P.J. Fleck does at Minnesota, but uh, I don't believe he comes with an off button. I think he is really uh, incredibly boisterous at pretty much all times. Uh, there, there's probably some element of it where you're a college football coach and uh, it, it becomes part of a shtick to, to be – that boisterous, that excited at every moment of every day, but uh, if if he's faking it, I didn't I didn't sniff it out. Uh, he uh, he seems to me to be pretty authentically like that, and, and that's the account from his players and from some coaches who have known him over the years. Um, so I think that's impressive to me the fact that he can maintain that for for as much as he, of the time as he can. Yeah, and I was really curious too um, about how you know because he was a ridiculous recruiter uh at western michigan obviously i mean top mm-hmm. tops in the mac you know had a three-star average which at, 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 per the 247 rankings which of course for uh the mac is uh relatively impressive uh but you know i i didn't know what that would how that would translate exactly and uh would he be spending more would he be would he be going national trying to land four-star kids or would he start trying to build uh, relationships in certain areas. And so I've been kind of occasionally popping in and looking at his commit list and his offer list and everything. It's kind of interesting so far. He's only, he's got 23 commits. He's basically got a class Mm -hmm. Um, and it's only 34th, which means when everybody else shows up, then it'll be about top 50 or so, but it is lots of Georgia and Florida, lots of Georgia um, in this class so far, a little bit of Florida and then, uh, you know, the smattering of Ohio, Michigan, uh, Chicago, et cetera. But there's a lot of, there are a lot of Southern recruits on this list and really only a couple Minnesota kids, which is kind of interesting to me too. But yeah, I, I was just curious what his strategy was going to be in that regard. Yeah. I asked him about that and I said, is that kind of deliberate? Because at Western Michigan, he had what they would term there, the six hour radius. And they really right. focused on building their roster up uh, through kids from Michigan, Illinois, and, and not really branching too far out of the Midwest for any reason. They might add two or three Floridians on their whole roster. Uh, he's definitely been deliberate about going elsewhere. 
Uh, I think his, his defensive backs coach, Maurice Linguist, uh, has a lot of ties to Georgia and has kind of been their top guy getting kids out of there to, to commit to Minnesota. But um, it's it's weird because, you know, I'd asked him about that, and the way that he described it was, you know, almost saying, you know, every coach kind of does this to an extent. Oh, well, we're really, we're really just focused on our backyard, um, and, and we're going to build a pipeline where we can, but we're really just focused on our backyard. Um, I think that's smart branding. I think that's the way any coach needs to be. I mean, you know, it's no secret that if you're not flattering your state's high school coaches, you're probably right. not doing it right. Um, but I think it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, you just look at the kids who have committed. Uh, They're looking to the southeast for a type of athlete that is in much higher supply there than it is uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, or anywhere else in Minnesota for that. And, and I was kind of incorrect. I was looking, I was scrolling around the top of his commit list. He does have five kids from Minnesota, five commits, and, and they constitute five of the top nine in Minnesota. It's just the, the ninth one is barely t- uh, three-star. There are only nine three-stars uh, and no four-stars in that state. And I think that's, that's not always the case. It seems like Minnesota is producing a pretty good quarterback here and there um, and, you know, linemen and all that, but it is kind of interesting. Also interesting looking at this list of Minnesota, a uh, state of Minnesota recruits, North Dakota state currently has the number six, 12, 13, 14, and 17 kids from Minnesota and 27 all right. committed for, for 2018 already. If you're wondering where North Dakota State looks to stockpile its talent. And let's face it, North Dakota State has been better than uh, Minnesota quite a few of, rec- of the recent years. So maybe that's uh, maybe staying home is you can make that work a little bit. I think so. I mean, I think North Dakota State is so interesting to me because, and I wonder about this with a program like James Madison too. Um, I don't mean to just pivot off to James Madison here, but a school like James Madison, which is an FCS power, um, you wonder at what point they're going to just start being better than FBS teams because you're in Virginia and you've got such a pipeline. North Dakota State has managed to do it um, despite being uh, clearly in North Dakota, which, um, as best I understand it, has not produced a whole lot of four- and five-star talent. Um, so the fact that they've legitimately recruited better than probably a handful of, of FBS teams, no, no Big Ten teams, but, um, yeah, they're amazing what they've done. Yeah, and uh, we, Godfrey and I were just talking about this too. I mean, if you if you lean on the Sagarin ratings, which I mean, uh, there's there's reason not to. It's not an amazing system, but it does. It's it's a pretty reasonably predictive system. And you had James Madison thirty third in the country. North Dakota State was forty fourth. They've been in the top sixty most of the last six to eight years, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's interesting. I I do. Like, I kind of understand why, speaking of North Dakota State, I, I kind of understand why they haven't moved up. Um, I mean, number one, winning rings is fun, and they get on television a lot, and they get to win NCAA t- titles. So what, where's the motivation there? But it is, uh, I, I always, when, when you talk to coaches or, or fans of certain schools, they talk about the grind and all this. And, and you know, if you were a top 40 team, a, a legitimate top 40 team, but you had to play a ton of other top 40 teams all of a sudden, uh, you mm-hmm. know, how many of those would you win? And would it wear a doubt on you after a while and all that? And I can't really prove that right or wrong. Uh, but it really is kind of interesting. You think about a North Dakota State and the, just the machine they have set up. I wish more than anything they would go, they were, we had a promotional relegation system where they could be in the Big Ten. But they have it pretty good. And, uh, you know, if, if they're recruiting like that, and James Madison obviously has its act together too, um, I guess there really isn't all that motivation to move up. It's the ones that, that are pretty good in FCS, but haven't established that kind of level that maybe those are the dreamers that decide to move to FBS and, and aim high, but yeah, I'm sympathetic to it. I mean, you know, the Fargo dome is not a big 10 venue and their athletic department does not bring in big 10 money. 
but it is a fun consideration given even that lack of infrastructure, uh, what they've done without talent. I mean, obviously the rub there is that their competition doesn't have power five talent either, but, um, this would be, I mean, if NCAA football ever comes back, God willing, um, my, my dream in that would be to have, uh, you know, while we're living in a fantasy world, let's have FCS teams. Let's see if we can bump up North Dakota State, see how they do. I bet it would be pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're going to get promotion and relegation in that damn game. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so Godfrey and I, for most of his time before he had to tag out, we talked about what he calls week 0.5. Uh, what... I, I assume you're going to be watching a little football this weekend. What game are you either most interested in, or if it's only one, what game are you interested in? Uh, I'm at least marginally interested in just about all of it. Uh, Hawaii, UMass, only because it's a 20,000-mile round <laughs> trip. It's 40,000-mile. Uh, no, I bet they're, what, 10,000? I, I looked this up for some that will become – it's an outrageous. It might be the longest road trip uh, between two American teams – ever in college football, which is really incredible. Yeah, you can't really, unless uh, Hawaii plays Maine. Yeah. No, and I'm not counting. Like I know that there's an Australia game this weekend, and there's uh, a game in Japan at one point, I believe. But, yeah, Hawaii's never played Maine. So I think in terms of, like, two U.S. teams playing each other on U.S. soil, it's an outrageous trip. Um, but I think Oregon State, Colorado State's going to be a lot of fun. You know, they've got that new stadium in Fort Collins, which looks incredible. Um it's, you know, I think about 41, 42,000 people. Yeah. It's got that mountainous backdrop. Um, I'm already trying to – Godfrey – I hope Godfrey doesn't steal that trip. I don't know. Godfrey tries to steal every trip. He, he calls yeah. dibs on everything. I'm going to be, like, pushing real hard. I, th- I have a feeling that I need to be in Fort Collins for this just big story that's there that I really feel like I'm the one to unearth. So, um, you know, Mike I've been – Bobo. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just, I felt so passionate about that for years. So I guess I might have to go there for, for journalism, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I do kind of, it's bittersweet here. I mean, they basically moved their game up, I guess, in part to get a, a national showcase. Well, congratulations. Here's your national so- showcase. You're going to kick off at like noon local time on CBS sports. <laughs> but- yeah, that's a shame. It's a shame. And I guess, um, I guess I understand that in the uh, broader context of college football, Colorado State might not be much to a lot of folks, but, I mean, you have them tops in the Mountain West in your power rankings, and I, I don't really disagree with it, given the way, especially given the way the schedule sets up for them. I mean, they could be a really, really good team. Yeah, I feel like I, I, I was overstepping with them a little bit, but I'm sticking to it, and I think they and Boise State will both be uh, very, very strong teams. Everybody's paying attention to Wyoming now, but I think Colorado State, if Boise State goes a third year without winning the Mountain West Mountain, it'll be because of Colorado State, I'm pretty sure. But and Oregon State, you know, they improved and they were crazy young still, and they might be a competitive team worth watching in the competitive division of the Pac-12 as well. So I'm I'm glad to have a kind of uh, at least a, a benchmark of some sort to set for them too. Yeah, and I think Colorado State too. I know we're we're past this point, but uh, if the Big Twelve ever did expand, I think they could do significantly worse than Colorado State. I don't think it would ever happen, but um, you look at what they have there and. Uh, not only football, but they've got a great volleyball program, a couple of other pretty good Olympic sports. Um, I, I am, for some reason, enamored with Colorado State uh, and think they'd be a fun team to watch if they decide to punch up and even just schedule some more Power Fives over the next couple of years. Well, they Fort, do a nice Fort, job. Fort Collins is a pretty town. Uh, no no complaints there. Um, so, all right. So, overall, though, I mean, the week, week 0.5 aside, 
the the early part of the schedule is the chance you know we we of course make everything a referendum on everything um but that's crazy and kind of dumb and a waste of time but we can still answer questions or we can still get hints at answers and so if not this weekend then uh the actual week 1 next time uh next weekend I should say what what questions are we going to get answered? Like, what are, what are the things you're kind of looking forward to most as we drink from the fire hose that is uh, just marquee game after marquee game in week one? Uh, pretty interested to see if LSU's passing game has developed. Uh, you're playing BYU there, so despite Darius Geis being great, I'm sure he's going to get his in some regard. I don't think they're just going to bowl over them like they will um, even some SEC teams, looking at you, Arkansas, um, and others. So I think that Danny Etling's going to have to probably make a few throws for LSU to at least comfortably win that game. Um, is he making them? Uh, they've got a couple of blue-chip freshmen coming in uh, at various skill positions, and he's got a lot of weapons, um, not only in the backfield, but also in the receiving game. So, you know, I don't think BYU's defense is going to be able to completely load the box. Uh, can he hurt him? And if he hurts him, then uh, I think that'll be a pretty good sign for LSU to maybe, just maybe, maybe just maybe be able to punish, I don't know, a team like Alabama later in the season if it comes down to it. Yeah, and I think you get a, we're going to get a similar answer actually with uh, Ohio State-Indiana on Thursday. Indiana, Indiana. Mm. I mean, Tom Allen, I still, I'm a little worried about the hire, mostly because of who he hired as offensive coordinator and, and what his intentions are on that side of the ball. Right the board, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, in fairness, was at the helm of the best offense in the country last November, uh, but it was before then where there were a lot of problems. But regardless, I mean, Indiana out of nowhere kind of surged to almost top 30 in terms of defensive S&P Plus, and they lost like three guys they were kind of counting on, uh, and they still finished at that level. They returned almost everybody on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And so, you know, and they know, Ke- they know Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson knows them, but it's still going to be a, a, an interesting test because, I mean, I think that's one of the questions we're going to get answered really early is what is JT Barrett's actual ceiling? Like we know he can be at the helm of like the most efficient run game in the country, but we also know that two or three times a year, um, somebody's going to slow that run game down. One of them is going to be Michigan state just because it always is. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Michigan and maybe Oklahoma, probably not, but maybe Oklahoma. Uh, but a couple teams along the way are going to slow down the run. And, and in, in the last couple of years, there was no plan B. Uh, they just kept a, like eliminating plays from the playbook until they had like two to run from and, and nothing happened whatsoever. And so Wilson's challenge is going to be when plan A doesn't work, yeah. um, wh- what does plan B look like and can they execute it and everything else? And they might have to go, go to plan B at least for a little while against Indiana. It's possible. And that defense, you know, you've, you've written about this at length, but the point that they're not, I mean, not only is it a solid defense, it's a defense with superstar players. Uh, T. Gray Scales is, you could make a very strong case, and I think you did, that he's the best defensive player in the whole conference. Um, and I think that if Ohio State, I mean, you saw how much trouble Ohio State had with extremely mediocre defenses at times last year. And I'm not talking about um, not talking about them getting shut out in the playoff. But, you know, if he can't push the ball down the field, um, they're still going to go 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one or, right. or something of that nature. Like it's, it's not like – it's not like I don't think they're actually going to lose to Indiana – but um, that does make a difference on the margins. I mean, Clemson did not feel threatened by him throwing the ball a ways down the field. And, you know, it was a huge problem for Mike Weber in that game. So, uh, yeah, I hope that he's developed a bit as a passer. I, I think very highly of him as a player. But if Ohio State's going to win again, he has to make more throws than he did last year. Yeah, because the road, the road slate here isn't easy. 
Um, you've got Indiana. Obviously, OU comes to Columbus, but you've got – I mean, at Nebraska, at Iowa, at Michigan. Uh, Iowa and, and Michigan can play yeah. defense. Nebraska, I'm not completely sure that's the case. Uh, I mean, he's going to he's have to throw at Iowa and at Michigan. He's yeah. going to have to make throws in those games. Yeah, and, and we'll see. And, and he really – I think at this point – what what has happened to JT Bear to a certain degree is that he simply, <clears throat> when you start out, you kind of like he got Taylor Martinez a little bit, and that like when he started, he hinted at a ceiling so high that when it turned out he couldn't maintain that or reach it all that often, or maybe it was incorrect that his ceiling was as high as we thought, we pretend that's the same thing as him being bad or him regressing in some way. When it just he didn't necessarily, when opponents adjusted, he didn't necessarily, uh, well, he didn't win four Heismans. And after that Virginia Tech game in 2014, like the next eight games or so, he was unbelievable uh, in 2014. And so I, I think that set the bar a little too high, and now we don't really know what to make of him anymore. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are saying he stinks when it's, he doesn't. He just hasn't won four Heismans. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to be watching this, and I probably won't be either because it's at night, uh, counter-programming them in Florida State. But I think Louisville-Purdue uh, might be interesting for some reason on both sides. you have any, any view of that one? Well, I'll sure. tell you why um, I do. I, I got point. a view on all of them, but um... – yeah, well, I mean, the two things. Number one, Louisville's. I'm I'm concerned about Louisville's defense. Uh, I thought Grantham was perfect for them, um, and he, they had some really nice pieces that they've now lost: Devonte Fields, um, uh, D'Angelo Brown, Josh Harvey Clemens. Uh, they had some some good. They, I mean, they still have attackers back too, but but switching over to what's his name, Sermon from Mississippi State in that trade. Uh, mm-hmm. Sermon, you know, it was his first year as a DC last year, so you don't want to evaluate it too much. But he he wasn't impressive, and so we'll see what kind of changes happen to that defense. And then uh, on the flip side, uh, you know, PAPN favorite Jeff Brom. Um, I I'm I'm I have no expectations whatsoever for Purdue this year, but it's at least worth keeping an eye on and and seeing what that passing game is like because. If, yeah. it's, if it's pretty good, it's going to be very good soon because they don't have any receivers. They lost all their receivers from last year. They got the quarterback back, uh, Bluff or whatever, or as yeah. I was calling him last year, Bluff. Um, but if they do manage to move the ball around a little bit, that's a pretty scary thing for 2018. Yeah, and I mean that quarterback uh, whose name I'm sure I'll mispronounce too, but he, you know. Oh, it's Blau, he, isn't it? It's Blau. Blau. Not, I think it's Blau, like Blau yeah. or Blau. Yeah, he he throws a lot of picks. Um but now Jeff Brahms is coach, and even before Jeff Brahms was his coach, he was actually somewhat prolific in terms of yardage and touchdowns sometimes. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me, despite the fact that Purdue has no skill player, what, skill position weapons to speak of, if Purdue did some damage to a Josh Harvey Clemens list and all those other guys gone Louisville. Um, might just be kind of fun. I mean, obviously, Purdue is not going to win the game. I'm not trying to uh, hype up anything too wild there, but... Uh, I'm I'm kind of in on Jeff Brom. I, I talked to him at the Big Ten too. Thought he was pretty cool, you know, informative guy. Comes across really smart. So, who knows? They might be my adopted team this year in the Big Ten. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> yeah, Western Kentucky was very very good the last two years. Uh, he yeah. took what Petrino was doing and improved on it pretty dramatically. So I have the bar pretty high for him. I just uh, you know you before I get too high on him, I look at Purdue's depth chart and I go, okay, well let's give him 2017. Uh, yeah. and, and that's good because Missouri plays freaking Purdue this year. And, uh, the return trip to West Lafayette in a couple of years, whenever that is, might be a little dicey. And I, I don't like that at all. No. And you have to go to West Lafayette as well. 
<laughs> well, I don't. I'm not sure well, I will. Personally. Missouri does. But, uh, yeah, Missouri does. Um, some other games from that first weekend that it, it's it, it's really easy to, you know, sit here and talk about Alabama, Florida State, Florida, Michigan, and all that, but that's not any fun. Um, what are some other games that you've well, – I'll give an example, and you can look at the schedule since I just threw that question on you. Uh, one, mm-hmm. one of the week one games that might get overlooked as well that could be very informative, Appalachian State, Georgia. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Appalachian State, uh, kind of in the same realm as, as Arkansas State last year, uh, you look at the, you think, you know, we talk about these teams as like plucky Sunbelt teams that could be dangerous. And in my mind, I just assume that means, oh, well, they must have a fun, fun little offense there. And they're going to, you know, really screw with some, some power conference defensive coordinators. I mean, those are defense first teams. And I think yeah. that uh, in, a, in an environment where you're as outclassed in terms of skill as Appalachian State is going to be at Georgia, uh, that's a good thing to be. I mean, especially with, I know Jacob Easton's in his second year and, um, you know, I, losing Isaiah McKenzie and, you know, there's a little bit of reason to be optimistic about Georgia's offense, but there's also, and, you know, Chubb's back and all that, but there's also reason to think that they're going to be iffy because they were extremely iffy last year. I mean, they really weren't great. Uh, and you don't know if they've made all that leap in the first game of the season. If they haven't, they're not going to score a ton of points. It's, right. I mean, if it's And if it's a low scoring game, uh, then Appalachian State could win. I think Georgia should be on uh, marginal upset alert there. Yeah, I'll be floored if Appalachian State actually moves the ball very much because Georgia should have a very, very good run defense. Um, I agree. And I don't, I don't think Appalachian State is going to be able to score, but if, if Georgia's at 21 or 24 yeah. or something like that, then you know it doesn't take a whole lot from there for, for something wild to happen. Yeah, I, was re- I really liked uh, Appalachian State's secondary last year especially, so this will be a nice, a very telling thing about the um, – about the Georgia passing game. Because you're right, McKenzie was the McKenzie and Godwin were the go-tos, but Godwin was basically just an extension of the run game kind of guy. You know, he barely mm-hmm. 10 yards per catch. Uh, really, his success rate was very poor. Uh, he was just basically a catch four yards kind of uh, – catch a ball for four yards kind of guy half the time. Sure. But Nada, the tight end, the sophomore tight end, could oh, be yeah. really, yeah, really he was good. A four or five-star guy. Yeah, he was one of the top right. three or four tight ends in the country when he came out. Right, Riley Ridley. They've got talent. Uh, they just haven't uh, had a chance to show it. And of course, I mean, this is all assuming that Nick Chubb isn't if, that the offensive line hasn't gelled to the point where Nick Chubb can just run for two hundred yards every game. But that's the case. Nothing else really matters, I guess. But yeah, this is a very if we're if the, I like the word informative. That will be a very informative game um, yeah. about both teams, really, but especially Georgia. And I wonder what Georgia's, I mean, I love Georgia's class, as does everybody that's coming in right now, the class of 2017. Uh, I wonder how many of those guys are going to contribute right away. Uh, right. I know Richard Richard LeCount, who I think was the best safety in the country last year. Uh, I think he came in number two, but um, he's going to play. Um, so we'll see. I think on defense, they're going to be set probably on the back end as well as the front. Um, but in terms of, of those offensive guys, they had, they had a couple of elite tackles. Uh, they added a five-star running back and DeAndre Swift. You know, are those guys going to kind of push them over the line offensively? I don't know if we're going to learn that in the first week. Uh, we probably won't. It's a lot to ask. But uh, there's a lot of hope there, I think, in, in those kids who haven't played it down for them yet, that maybe they'll make that offense uh, less cringeworthy than it was last year. Right. Yeah, that's the funny thing about recruiting rankings in football. Wow, they signed a really good class. Well, we'll see what that means in two years. Uh, and then yeah. we go back to however they were. But you're right. I mean, while some of the – bigger stars in the class were, you know, like they didn't need a five-star running back this year. They've got five-star running backs and from the really good freshman quarterback probably isn't going to 
play over Eason unless Eason get hurt, gets hurt. But there are a couple of receivers in the class that I'm curious about. And I, honestly, you never want to count on freshman offensive linemen, but um, you know, no. that's an area where they could absolutely improve and absolutely need to improve. So if, you know, one of like Wilson or Thomas, one of those four-star freshmen could kind of click a little bit, that might help them a lot. It would. Yeah. No, they'll be, they'll be interesting and you know, we'll learn a little bit, but I wonder how much we're going to have to wait to learn about, about those kids. And you're, you're obviously uh, punting on the real game you want to talk about Maryland, Texas. Oh, well, that's going to be kind of intriguing to me. I actually, uh, I am a, a real pessimist about my own school. Um, always have been probably comes from the pirates thing. Um, but I think Maryland this year, uh, record won't be great, but they're going to have a few players who legitimately are specifically Ty Johnson, the running back, um, really should look him up. If you don't know him listeners of your show, probably, uh, are pretty familiar with him because he's a nine yard to carry running back. Um, he's great. He's as explosive as purely fun as it gets. Good kid too. Like him a lot. Um, Texas, you know, I love what Tom Herman's doing there and he's recruiting so well, but this is almost the exact same roster plus a not great 2017 recruiting class that just lost to Kansas like months ago. Um, I don't think Maryland wins the game. It would, it would be pretty surprising to me, but it's not impossible. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. That was, that was reasonably know. optimistic. I appreciate yeah, it. Um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. It's, well, it's conceivable. I, th- I mean, the thing about Texas that I, I, well, I guess I wrote about it. It's been a while since I wrote about them because the big 12 was bad last year. And so it's been like three months since I wrote about the big 12, but the thing about Texas was um, they were so amazingly sophomore heavy last year on defense, especially uh, freshmen and sophomores a lot on, on offense as well, to the point where if Strong had stayed, and Lord knows he didn't deserve to, uh, you lose to Kansas, you're done. That's fine. The the yeah. annoying part was that they didn't use that excuse to go ahead and fire him. They let him think he might still be able to keep his job for another week, which was just yeah. mean. But they were so amazingly young last year that they were all but, I mean, from a stat standpoint, guaranteed to improve this year. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Even with that class, even with uh, the the underwhelming performances recently, Texas is still, without any sort of coaching change built into the formula, Texas is projected 16th this year mm-hmm. um, uh, in S&P, I should say, which you know yeah. might or might not be worth anything. But I mean, they return almost their entire defense. Uh, and then, you know, getting, getting Bouchelle back, getting the, the top three receivers back, most of the offensive line. I mean, I, I like it. I think they're a team that will absolutely improve. And if, if Herman is able to yeah. have the same kind of first-year effect that he had in Houston, which is a lot to ask, then they yeah. could be really good soon. It's just, you know, then you realize you're saying that about Texas, and you said that about Texas before. And so you just instinctively start to tap the brakes a little bit. It was, in terms of info, informative or in terms of information that we're going to get from here, yeah, Maryland's going to be able to run the damn ball. There's no question about that. And we'll, we'll learn really quickly whether Texas can actually stop a team from running the ball. And Texas, for its part, I mean, speaking of running games, uh, I don't think they have a whole lot to worry about. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the biggest name that's gone from that team, obviously, is Deontay Foreman. Uh, Maryland's running defense is, is best described as wet toilet paper. Um, there will be, you know, there, there will be huge numbers put up by Chris Warren or uh, Kyle Porter or, or whoever has the ball for Texas in that game. Um, what's going to be curious to me is, you know, is Shane Buchel taking steps forward against what, what's actually a so-so secondary? I mean, Maryland's run defense is terrible, but... Um, you know, does Sam Ellinger, the four-star freshman that they have, does he get in the game at all? 
Um, in terms of like immediate steps that that offense could take, it, it's going to, I think, depend. And you mentioned those receivers back. Is the vertical passing game there? And it might be. Uh, and if it's not, it sure as hell will be by 2018 when they have a whole spate of four and five star receivers coming in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's um, another game that we'll kind of forget about, or at least non-Maryland and Texas fans won't pay that much attention to. I'll be at the barn burner of a Missouri State-Missouri game while that's going on. Well, that'll um, be fun. I mean, I'm really happy, by the way, that Missouri State-Missouri is at 11 a.m. Uh, local time. Just just knock it out. Just get it out of the way. Uh, and then I can be home. Like, the, the, the early slate that week, you've got... Well, nothing. Yeah, actually, you've got nothing. You've got you've got Wyoming, Iowa, and Maryland, Texas, and that's about it. And then I can be home for at least the second half of the two thirty game. So I'm pretty pleased with yeah. uh, the scheduling here as a whole. But um, you consider going out to uh, see? Uh, you mentioned Missouri State. You ever go out to see uh, Northwest Missouri State? I have not gone out to. No, I watch them on TV when they're in the Division Two finals every year. But that's about it. I think thirty wins in a row for that team. They're I'm, I, I like them. I they're think they just good. lost their they lost their head coach to an FCS job, but yeah, no, they seem go Bearcats. Keep an eye keep an eye on the Northwest Missouri State Bearcats this year if you get a chance. Yeah, if I remember right, when I did that big promotion and relegation simulation a while back, they were they were they jumped up to the MAC real quick and stayed there. Um, so yeah, good for them. Love it. Um, so one of the things, one of the other things we mentioned that I'll I'll um, let you ruminate on as well. SB Nation kicked the hell out of the uh, out of the off season this year. What was your favorite thing that you wrote uh, this off season for SB Nation, the site that both of us work for and are very happy to work for at the moment, uh, the site that killed the off season? My favorite thing that I got to do was uh, for our 2007 off season package. I wrote about Pitt, West Virginia. In I was 2007. hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, it was the game that Pitt won, uh, 13 to nine against then number two West Virginia, last game of the regular season. And uh, probably holds the mantle of most shocking rivalry upset, uh, certainly highest stakes rivalry upset ever. Um, talked to a few pretty pretty interesting, fun people for that story. So I had a blast doing it. It was really cool that um, that I got the chance to write it. And how frequently, how many curse words did you edit out of the piece versus the number of ones that you kept in? Well, I I didn't edit anything out. I swear. I went. I the the best interview that I did for that. Um, and one of the more enjoyable interviews that I've gotten to do in my time doing this was with Owen Schmidt, who was the fullback on that team for West Virginia. And yeah, he had he had words to say um, about the play calling in that game and Pat White uh, missing some time in the middle of that game and the caliber of the opponent that they lost to. Uh, what well, we 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 curse on this podcast, right? Godfrey's on this podcast. We yeah, just say earmuffs beforehand so the drivers of the yeah. car know to turn their car down. Well, you can turn turn the volume down briefly, but yeah, Owen Schmidt referred to Pitt as uh, the shittiest fucking team in the fucking world, um, which I thought was an extraordinarily candid assessment of what was then a four and seven team. Um, I it's you know I think you get players like a decade or so after they play a game, or you get coaches like years later, and they're always I think pretty interested in going back over some of the big moments from their careers, and uh, I appreciated Owen being so willing to dredge up what I, I think is a pretty painful memory for like an entire state. Um, <laughs> and so points, points for honesty, really. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's nice when people uh, are willing to go into that kind of depth. Yeah. A control what was F- thing that you did this off season bill? Well, I was going to say, first of all, uh, the, a quick control F search discovered that there were seven F bombs and three S bombs in the Owen Schmidt interview. Uh, and it just kind of felt like there was some lingering right outside that didn't quite make it in, but could have pretty easily. Um, 
Yeah, but no, yeah. I, it was, <laughs> it was, it was definitely uh, not the the cleanest linguistic pod, uh, story that I've ever written. But that's okay sometimes. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, like I was. I was. Imp- he basically went out of his way to say how much he loves Rich Rodriguez before he yeah. then also said that the play calling was terrible in that game. And it, I mean, he doesn't. He do- He doesn't not have a point. Um, I kind of hated the Pat White part though, because uh, as far as I could tell, there was no reason to ever think that Pat White would not be in a game if he could walk and was allowed to. So that that kind of yeah that part kind of irked me a little bit. But not uh, fair. I, I don't think we can't. We'll never know. Um, Who's right? But I think it's important to note that even when Pat White was in the game, um, they did nothing. They didn't do much. Yeah, so it was it was hard for them that night. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this off season, I obviously uh, the weirdest project that I personally took part in was the one that uh, required a photo shoot uh, when we were all in in New York for those uh, meetings back in whatever that was March or so. I yeah, the the commish piece that went up in May, I was really happy with it, and I was really happy that. It, well, A, it made me very uncomfortable how much my face was around it, but it ended up being, I felt, you know, in talking to everybody else along the way, like I felt like it was kind of an SB Nation mission statement of sorts when it came to what's important about college football and what should be important and, and who's important and, and what could be done and all that. So I was really happy with the way that came together. Um, yeah, definitely. Even though there are some political anchors out there, so to speak, with the promotion and relegation and all that. Uh, but I, I was really happy that it felt like a very – on brand thing and then we did the most on brand thing possible writing 50 something stories about 2007 uh, yeah I, I've uh, then piled on top of that by doing some for Rock M2 walking through that season as well because I could I, I will relive 2007 as many times as I'm allowed to that was an amazing year as a Missouri fan and a college football fan but yeah. no, I love I loved obviously the commission project was very cool I will say I love the Boise State or history I'm imagining that most of the people who are listening to this have also read that by now. But if you have not, you should read Bill on Boise State, how Boise State started Boise Stating. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really I, – I mentioned that at the beginning of the piece, but I was very – I realized as I was getting ready to leave Boise, like uh, Brian Harson was about my last interview when I was there. I was there for two days, talked to freaking everybody. The, the SID there is lovely. Um, but I – Realized, like, I went there hoping to get some some tactics, some some sort of, like, almost chalkboard kind of thing that I could add to the mix. But other than just talking about how, you know, we, we used motion a lot, um, the, the answer I got repeatedly was that I, I don't think that was it. Um, yeah. And to the point where I was convinced that, okay, maybe it wasn't. But, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think there aren't just a ton of secrets here. I mean, finding, finding lanky linemen um, – isn't like others know that Wisconsin has been doing plenty of that over the years and find, find the 240 to 260 pounder slap some weight on him, And suddenly you've got a six, eight, 310 pound right tackle. Who's actually athletic and probably played basketball in high school. Uh, you know, so there, there, that wasn't really a secret finding coaches, coaches, sons, wasn't even all that much of a secret, but their yeah. ability to so consistently do it and make good hires and then reinforce the culture because I like the quote, uh, one of my favorite quotes in there was Andy Avalos, the uh, defensive coordinator, just pointed out that you know this, a lot of this is like parent versus kid, like in one ear, out the other. It's the other players who have to actually reinforce the lessons. And for them to reinforce them, they have to believe them. And um, them talking about like running practices on their own and, and getting in guys' face and basically doing all the coaches' work for them almost was kind of interesting because then you add on top of that really good coaches 
uh, kind of seems like that might be the secret right there. Yeah, and the thing I thought one thing that was incredibly interesting in that, and it made me think of how we do our jobs as media members sometimes. Um, Harson had told you that once upon a time he he brought in a play for Chris Peterson that he yeah. thought would work, and Peterson just kind of dressed him down like so. Okay, I see this on the chalkboard, but how am I going to teach it? Like, how are we actually going to do it? Um, and so for myself, um, who is a, a relative novice with with X's and O's, and I was never a player or a coach. Um, anytime that I draw something up in my mind where it says, oh, you know, why aren't they just running this misdirection, this option, you know, they have this read numbers here, it's going to work perfectly. Um, it's kind of another layer of coaching that I think as, as a media member and, and certainly as a fan, uh, I found is easy to get lost. You know, you don't think about how hard it is to actually drill these concepts into 18 to 22 year old men um, and then make them work like, I don't know, like a Statue of Liberty play uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, it's it's really hard and um, something that I don't think about enough, I think. Yeah, that's uh, NCAA uh, and Madden, too, to a certain degree, has been kind of the best and worst things for fandom. It's the best in that, like, I think we all know more plays and more uh, route trees and or combinations and all these things uh, that go into um, both play calling and then, you know, the, the way they go about recruiting. It just gets you, it gets you in the right mind frame for, for what the responsibilities are for college football especially. And it's, it's great in that regard. But it also leads us all to believe that, well, they should just add this play. Or why don't they try this formation? Or why don't they just try, like, why don't I just, you know, if I, if I press the back button twice, I'll just move over and I'll start running I formation. That'll work. Um, because I have a 260-pound guy who can be a fullback. And um, actually coaching and actually building a game plan. And you have to teach everything that you build. And you only get, whatever, 20 hours a week-ish, approximately, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, that, that is something that gets reinforced. The more I, I, I've been trying to talk to more and more coaches just about kind of coaching. And, um, and that, that's the biggest part of it is the teaching part is something that when you hear Todd Graham say it, it sounds like a, like a catchphrase almost like we're teachers, we're, we're builders of, you know, of men We're we teach first We're you know, we have teaching principles and all that. And he says it so much like, okay, you've said this to a lot of kids in your lifetime and, and I, that's fine, but you're not, you're not selling me right now, but regardless, they believe it. And it's probably because it's true. So mm -hmm. um, that's what I really I, I did enjoy kind of getting that uh, that uh, viewpoint, so to speak. Yeah, it was enlightening. So the last question before we take off. Um, so you've been what was your first day as a full timer at SB Nation? Uh, September 6th of last year. OK, that's what I was thinking is right out of year. Um, yeah. One of the, my favorite pieces in this uh, 2007 preview was basically the it was the the piece that was kind of the theme of the entire preview series, which was level up as a fan uh, and uh, you know getting to know all the fans and and learning about the entire sport, not just our team. Um, that's been such a huge thing. It's why I like this sport still, even though once you've worked in it for a while, you learn all the things you can hate about it. But what, in terms of your fandom of the sport as a whole, so we all get to sort of wear the fan hat sometimes too. What, what has changed the most over the last year? What, what, or what change has surprised you the most about how you look at the game over the last year? I think I'm a way bigger fan of the sport, uh, but care way less about any individual team. And I think yeah. that it can be different strokes for different folks. Like some people, they adopt specific teams. And I mentioned, who knows, maybe Purdue will be that team for me. Uh, I don't get too down about it uh, if a given team doesn't win. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes you root for stories. 
uh, sometimes, actually all the time, you root for traffic. I want the wildest things to happen. <laughs> uh, like I, I absolutely want, I want just, I want there to be six different illegal motion calls on the last drive that needs to be dissected. You know, I, I'm all about chaos. That's one of the things that makes college football great um, and is good for us. But um, I love the sport much more than I ever did before I started writing about it. Uh, and not being so tied to one team's, one, you know, one loss record, it, it makes it even more fun for me. Yeah, I feel like I've I've found a, a balance. Like I still pay attention to Missouri. I still know the depth chart. I could quote it to you. I still, you know, I, I still feel feelings during wins and losses and whatnot. Uh, but I sure. move on really quickly. Um, and it's 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 kind of you know because of this is the the hat I wear most of the time is the national hat, the SB Nation hat, and. It's funny then when I'll jump back, I'll like check the Missouri Rivals board for an informa- for information about a recruit or something, and I'll dive back into that world where there's yeah. they're 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 arguing the same arguments that they have been for the last fifteen years and fighting the same fights about silliness and this one play call or this one game or this this recruit that our rival cheated to get in and all these things, uh, and it it makes me tired in like eight seconds. Uh, so yeah. I, I feel like I'm a much, I, I, my energy level is good for, for fandom. And I, I do think that Jason is on the exact right path with that. Like just the more you learn about the sport, the more you enjoy the sport as a whole, not just living and dying based on whether your team played well for 60 minutes last week or not. Definitely. And I like writing about them sometimes, but for me, it's been really helpful to have, you know, a couple teams, specifically just the Pittsburgh pro teams who I still just like you know, I'll yell at the TV, you know, I will, I will hate the Cubs. I will, I will hate the Flyers. You know, I will root for those teams in a more like in a less restrained way, I guess I should say. And it's cool to have that escape. And we've got people on our staff who, um, you know, they root for Tottenham and the Falcons and all kinds of different teams. And that's kind of like a release for them. I think that's been an important thing for me so that I make sure that sports don't completely become work. I mean, they are, but um, so that you can kind of have a little uh, oasis of just not having to work and just like being super into how a team does. I think that's fun too. Yeah, I've been really enjoying getting to know soccer a lot more. Like every every year, I add a new league to my you know viewing docket. Well, depending on what's available, I guess. But um, like trying to just get, that that's my little avenue for nerding out a little bit is is going down that road. But then you know understanding the terrain of football and jumping back into it and everything. Uh, but no, I mean, I think the off season that we had like last year, you know, there was the Baylor stuff. It just, it was a very dire off season. It wasn't very much fun, both within the company and just within college football as a whole. But this, this is, I'm ready. Uh, this has been an awesome off season for us. Uh, as just in terms of the content we produced and just the content I've gotten to read because we produced it like that. I, I, I dove into 2007, like two straight days. Um, oh, yeah. it was so cool to be a part of that. And, and you guys, um, you know, you and, uh, Richard and Morgan were, I, I don't know why I'm set, telling this in public, like it's, it's worth more or something, but you guys were very good additions. I think our team is better than it's ever been. So uh, Thanks. I feel a lot of pride being part of our team. I think uh, there's there's certainly no place I would rather do this than than right here. So it's cool to be cool to be involved with all these people. Boom. Also, shout out all the things that we mentioned. Uh, our development team uh, who who makes these things look good. Uh, Graham yeah. Macri and Tyson Wedding and uh, Frank By like they they do incredible work. Um, so shout out to them too. 
Yeah, we've gotten more resources to play with this year, and I think we've used them very wisely. So uh, hopefully that continues moving forward. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, for Godfrey and Alex and everything else, um, season's going. See, we have real football to react to as of Sunday, and uh, looking forward to it more than I've looked forward to a season in a while, and, and not because of any expectation, but just because, uh, like I was saying, I'm ready. This, the energy's good. Let's do this. So uh, I appreciate Alex coming on and, and tagging in for Godfrey so that you guys got a full-length PAPN uh, at this important point in the season. And we'll talk to you guys next week.